Greetings and salutations. Welcome to Life and Books and Everything. I'm Kevin DeYoung and glad to be with you again. I will introduce our special guest in just a moment. Very excited to have my friend H.B. Charles Jr. Esquire, uh, Right Honorable, uh, <laughs> friend and brother, and, and we're going to find out what H.B. means. So I'll, I'll, we'll bring on H.B. in just a moment. Just want to thank Crossway again for sponsoring LBE. I want to mention today the book by Andreas Kostenberger and Gregory Goswell, Biblical Theology, a Canonical, Thematic, and Ethical Approach. Biblical theology, as our listeners probably know, is theology that instead of arranged by specific topics, is often arranged book by book from Old Testament through New Testament, tracing uh, the land or the temple or something through the canonical scripture. How does this theme or idea trace through the storyline of scripture? And they do this in this book, and then also looking at the ethical component, how God seeks to transform the lives of his people through the text of Scripture. So pick up a copy, Biblical Theology, Canonical, Thematic, Ethical Approach. Uh, you can go to crossway.org plus and find out how you can get 30% off with a free Crossway account. Our guest today, as I mentioned, is H.B. Charles Jr. We're going to hear a little bit about him, and we're going to talk mostly about preaching. He is the pastor teacher at the Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church of Jacksonville, Florida, where he has served since the fall of 2008. Prior to that, he led Mount Sinai Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, where he succeeded his father pastoring there. We're going to hear about that story. He's the author of a number of books. In particular, there's this trilogy, all published, I think, HB by Moody, on preaching, on pastoring, and on worship. Really good short chapters. You could read it informatively or devotionally. Uh, and we're going to think in particular about preaching. And he has a podcast where he talks about preaching. He has a radio program where he does preaching. And I love HB's preaching and talk to him about preaching. So, H.B., welcome. So glad to have you here. Thanks, Kevin. It's a joy. I am an avid listener to the podcast, and it's an honor to be on with you. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. All right, first question. You get this all the time. I know the answer to it, and it's on your website, which, which tells us everyone asks you this. But tell us, what does the H and the B stand for? H.B. <laughs> stands for absolutely nothing. Oh, as man. I, as I, as I uh, regularly say, my father did it to me and I did it to my son. And there is not <laughs> a week in my life, literally, where that question is not asked in, in one way or the other. And I, I have to give that explanation. I have found that succinct way to explain it. <laughs> and mostly I'm told that, uh, oh, that, that was cool. But it wasn't cool growing up <laughs> being teased no, by kids probably cool. having an issues. What 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 did what did they what did they come up with oh, to call you, you with HB? Anything they could fill in, I was called oh, anything man. and everything. <laughs> yep. Well, well, now you could say it stands for High Baptist or something. High, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that that, that um, would fit. Alistair Begg 
uh, now famously calls me like Heathacus Bartholomew. He thinks it should be something profound or something deep. <laughs> oh yeah, that's really good. Very deep. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's great. So tell us, uh, you grew up in Los Angeles. You're actually recording this in Los Angeles and uh, I'm recording this at a reasonable time on the East Coast, and you're up very early in the West Coast, so thank you for doing that, even with your family in the room, and you're, you're flying back uh, home soon? Mm-hmm. I am. Okay. But you're from L.A., so um, where'd you grow up? L.A. is a big place. Uh, did you grow your, your father was, was a pastor, so you grew up a Christian. Just tell us a little bit. I want a little bit HB until 17. Sure. Go. So I grew up in a uh, pastor's home here in Los Angeles. I grew up in Inglewood, uh, mm-hmm. California. My uh, elementary school is right across the street from the Forum, where the I was uh, going to ask how close you were to the Forum. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the big highlight is every year they would come. Some of the players uh, would come over and. Uh, do a thing for the students. That was always a, a big thing. Um, my father, I'm, I'm a third generation pastor. So his father was a pastor. He, uh, served, um, in the heart of Los Angeles, headed downtown area, um, midtown area, you would call it. And he served that church for 40 years. Um, my father was the pastor. My mother was the secretary, minister of music, you name it. Um, the first so, lady, yeah, <laughs> you name it. She 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 uh-huh. served every role possible, and we were, if not in church every day, members were at our house every day. And um, yeah, I uh, heard the gospel early and often, and uh, I uh, trusted as a as a child. Um, personally, one night I just really was consumed. Um, by the story that I had been hearing of the message of Jesus Christ and um, trusted Christ as a boy. But not long after I, um, I was called, to, I felt a call to preach and I just uh, hmm. had the privilege of basically hanging out with my father who was always with preachers talking about preaching. He had a Tuesday night class in our home every night where the associate ministers and local pastors would come and they would just talk for about preaching for two hours. I would hmm. sit in the back of that session. Wow, wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so I preached my first sermon as a boy, 11 years old. Listen, I pr- our family is in Los Angeles. Was it good? For my- <laughs> no first sermon is good. But yeah, I got yeah, right, right. Well, yours might have been. So 11 years old. Um, my family's in Los Angeles. We were all here for my daughter's 15th birthday. And I preached at my home church yesterday. And afterward, wow. a member handed me this, which is a cassette of my first mm-hmm. sermon, August wow. 26, 1984. I was 11 years old. Um, this is like gold. <laughs> um, the message was entitled, Jesus is Passing By. Oh, so was that uh, Walking on the Water, the Storm? The uh, Blind Man. Jesus oh, the Blind Man. By okay, now they're passing yeah. by. So, so are you going to listen to it? Yeah, I do am, it. But let me tell you, let me tell you, my father had a, a stipulation that a, a new preacher preaching what was called the trial sermon needed to preach something out of the Gospels. Mm-hmm. I wanted to preach three, the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace. 
I've right. been working on that story. I felt I knew that story. And my dad and I went back and forth. I'm 11 years old. And time is getting close to the sermon. He does not um, feel like I'm preparing this sermon on the New Testament. So he wrote a sermon on this text. He wrote, Jesus is passing by. So oh, really? um, he gave me the manuscript and said, just read this. So I start <laughs> out with the introduction. And man, I'm like three paragraphs, four paragraphs into this introduction. And I said, you know, so Jesus is passing by. And the church was so packed. Hey, man, hey, they was just so encouraging. And <laughs> they, they, there's a, a roar of amen. And when I, um, I pause and, and then it comes to my mind and I say, you know, he passed by for the three Hebrew boys one day in a fire furnace. <laughs> and, I, and I went on and preached my sermon on that. <laughs> oh, what man, on what did your tape? dad say? I didn't get a chance to preach again for quite a long time. <laughs> I, I did his introduction and preached the sermon that I prepared. So if I could, if oh, I could get this digitized, uh, this, that'll be something to hear. No, you should put it. I mean, put it on some website somewhere, or at least uh, some, you know, some dark recesses of the internet. We want to hear sure. that. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, now, was this? Was this unusual? This had to be unusual. Eleven, and then, you know, get to your story. You, you become a full-time preacher at seventeen. So sure. I know you're humble and you don't want to talk about yourself, but people must have recognized a, a unique gift at a young age. How, how did it happen that, even though you, I mean it was your dad, I get it, but that you preached your first trial sermon at eleven and you start regularly preaching to a congregation at seventeen? So. Two things I would say there. I um, I have never had any desire, interest, or thought that I would do anything else in my life at that mm. point beyond preaching. I did not know what that would look like. So as a boy, I start studying preaching and studying preachers and, and then, of course, studying, reading the Bible as best I could. I just, I remember sitting in school reading the book of Revelation through. Um, I, wow. I, I was consumed with the scriptures and the desire to preach it. Secondly, my father was a friend of preachers in this city. And most Sundays we had a three o'clock afternoon service where my dad would go to another church and preach something and take our church to fellowship with another congregation. Hmm. And we usually went to a smaller church where he said, you can't, you know, they can't repay the favor. And when I started preaching, those men found a way to repay my dad. And so really not long after I started preaching, I preached at two churches um, yesterday. In the afternoon, I did preach at a church I had preached at, at a, as a boy in Pasadena, hmm. where a friend of my father just uh, put me in a chair and let me speak to his congregation briefly on a Sunday morning. So I was getting a lot of opportunities. And by the okay. time I was in my mid-teens, I'm preaching a Sunday school program here, a youth service there. They're putting me at the end of a children's choir for 15 minutes. So I'm having a lot of opportunities. Whatever they think is about to happen, though, 
in my mind, I'm coming to preach. I'm taking this absolutely seriously. Yeah. Um, and so as the those years, early teens years, I am preaching much more regularly. Um, and when my father suddenly passed at 16, between 16 and a year and a half later, when I was called to the church there, there might have been two Sundays in that year and a half that I was not preaching somewhere. Mm. Uh, I was regularly preaching and, um, yeah. Uh, that's just what you've done. Did you realize at the time this is unique? I mean, you're still a high, you're still finishing your high school classes, preaching every week. Yeah. So, I mean, like I met my wife, Crystal in, um, high school. We, we, uh, she was a year so behind me and we shared coach Williams world history class. Coach mm. Williams world history class was the favorite class in Los Angeles high school. He was the football coach. Imagine the football coach teaching a world history class, <laughs> no yeah, homework, yeah. no assignments, <laughs> but a um, lot of stories. Yeah. 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 So, um, when she talks to somebody and when she like reconnects with somebody from high school and they're like, you're married with children. She's like, yeah, I married HB. He went to school with us. Uh, HB, they may remember the name. And then they were like, help me. And here's how she decided. The boy that wore suits to school every day. You married that <laughs> preacher? <laughs> you married, that's funny. Yeah, so I mean, I I was wearing suits to school every day. Um, if it was If it was odd, I'm sure it was. And there was a sense in which, you know, I, I felt being in some settings, they viewed me like a circus freak. But I was mm. not ashamed, embarrassed. I, I wore, I was eager. I had sermon and was ready to travel. <laughs> I wanted to ready to travel. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So what was it like this past weekend uh, going back and preaching? That must have been a sweet occasion. You, you, you get a lot of amen, brother. So good to have you back. What was it like? Yeah. So I, I, it's, it's a it's an amazing experience. I there are people there who still in that church who literally raised me. Mm -hmm. um, they, they watched me. So it is a joy. It is a great encouragement. Um, people who don't know my story um, kind of don't know the, my father's legacy, but I mean, I, I remind them, after all these years, you know, I got compliments this weekend. You sound just like your dad. Um, mm. I don't think that's the case, but it's the best compliment that you can give oh, me. Yeah. And um, so then if it's not that generation of who raised me, it's a younger generation. When I was serving there and young adults my age who grew up there who are now married with children and our children kind of grew up together in those early years. So it's it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. It is. I, I just uh, went back a month ago and preached at University Reformed Church in Michigan, which is where I served for 13 years. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't I hadn't been I mean, I go back to Michigan because I got family and friends there, but I hadn't really been back to the church since I left. It's been six years mm -hmm. and I certainly hadn't been back to preach. So it is. It's a really sweet occasion. It's 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 pretty emotionally overwhelming, even for uh you know, a cold-hearted Dutchman like myself. 
but he just got <laughs> all these all these memories and all these and there's a lot of new people of course and sure. and uh, my successor Jason Halopoulos my good friend is doing a great great job so it's just a thrill to see but lots of memories come back and lots of people of course I'm like you you know you don't look any older and then some people are like yeah okay you're but uh, I, I, right. I look older and it, it's a sweet thing that that connection and, and listeners here who are pastors will understand but it, it, you really you can't describe it. it is it is a u- really unique thing in the world the, the the preacher to people the pastor to to flock relationship and uh, it's often you know akin to a marriage it's not quite like that because you you leave and you go elsewhere but mm-hmm. it has that kind of sweetness when things go well I mean it must have been HB when you when you left I mean you left. Your, your father's church, you were there, L.A., grew up, and moved across a continent to Jacksonville. How did you come to that decision? How hard was that? How did the people respond? Yeah, so I didn't yesterday, but most every year I've been gone except for COVID, I've been back home to preach every year. So right. it's the kindness of my successor to invite me back every year. He served mm-hmm. with me. I recommended him when I left. But usually when I come home, I tell the church, thank you, and I'm sorry. I thank them for (laughs) all that they have contributed to my life and ministry. But now at this stage, I have like notes from all of these sermons that I preached over those 18 years as a young pastor learning. And I just like, I'm sorry, (laughs) y'all. Yeah, that's right. Hour long sermons. They were terrible sermons in some instances where I was learning and they, they encouraged me along the way. I I would say over the years um, that the, hardest day in my life was the day my dad died um mm-hmm. at this point harder than that day was the day i had to go in there and tell that church to give my resignation and tell them i was moving to jacksonville um we had two sunday services and i was fine mm. and i i walked into the church lobby to walk into the sanctuary to tell them and i just fell apart And I went and locked myself in the nursery (laughs) and missed basically the entire first service. I just could not stop crying. And um, my wife came in and the pastors came in and they are delaying the service. They're like, pastor, you have to tell the church. (laughs) So we're holding them. So I come in. It's a horrible thing. And it is just and. It was just, it was the hardest thing I've I've ever had to do. And the church was in total shock. Um, And after that second service, maybe for like an hour and a half, I just stood there. No one said much to me. They just came up in lines and hugged me. And Mm -hmm. maybe the last person to hug me was my first secretary when I was like 18 years old. And I just collapsed again and they were like, you know, that's enough for the day. So it was, it was just, uh, the Lord drug me kicking and screaming from that church. As I often say, uh, all of my roots were in that church. And, uh, so that was a, that was a difficult, difficult time. But yeah. Uh, and, and when, uh, when you have two services and you got to do it twice or people at the first service have heard all the words getting out, then you, then you have to, to do it. I mean, I, 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 I'm not a prolific crier. I can go years without. <laughs> not, I'm not bragging. I'm just that's the way I'm sure. wired. But when it came to, you know, months leading up to, 
you know, the whole process of, of leaving the church of just, you know, a thought, a memory of something. And I would, I would start tearing up. So it was, yeah, I, I, it was very hard. It's just what you said, HB people, they're, they're sad. You know, maybe some of them are angry initially. They're, they're, they mm-hmm. also love you and they're, and they're happy for, okay, we, we want to trust the Lord that this is for his kingdom, but they just don't know what to say. And some of them already just to protect their own heart, sort of, they've already said goodbye. And some of them will come yeah. around in the next few months and they'll, they'll, they'll have a, but it, it really is hard. And especially for you having, you know, boy preacher there for all those years growing up there. I mean, mm-hmm. just doubly hard and how sweet that I'm sure it means a lot to you and to them that you can come back. What, what was, what, what were you sensing the call to go to Jacksonville to uproot and leave all of that? What was it that the Lord prompted you to move across the country? I often say I was the last person to know the Lord was hmm. sending me to Jacksonville. Everyone who I love, trust, and respect um, was confirming that they believed this was what was going to happen. I just, I just did not. And um, I actually flew there. I, I asked the men to take my name out of the consideration. Mm. And the men were like, it was a game like a, a game of chicken, Kevin. They were like, look, the church is going to call you. It's going to be on you to decide what you do with that. But this train is already in motion. The church is going to call you. Oh, you can't get out of the way. <laughs> it's going to come and get you. And then you got to decide. And I told them, I mean, they had a vote and then they posted on their website um, congratulations to our past new pastor elect. And I told, I called, I said, you have oh, to wow. take that off the website. I'm not coming. <laughs> and I know this is going to sound crazy. Um, they, the men said, we need you. Would you come and tell the church yourself? Oh boy. They said this church, cause I was not a part of the process. They had been going on and Within a three-month period, the church was like, go get that young man from Los Angeles. And they said, if we tell the church you're not coming, they're going to think it's something that we did, and we'll never be able to lead this church forward. Um, as, as weird as that sounded, I just, it made sense to me, and I said, sure, I'll come. Huh. And um, so all of the elders and stuff here who knew everything that was going on, just knew I was flying there to tell these people no. The night I flew uh, uh, to Jacksonville, my wife dropped me off at LAX and we prayed and she kissed me. And as I'm getting out the car, she said, you have my full support, whatever you decide. Wait, whatever you decide. And I'm running yeah, late what for do the you flight. Mean, honey? We had already agreed and I could not sleep. I, the whole flight I prayed. And I just had a strong conviction at that point, flying there. And I just thought it was terrible. I, I, it was a church in trouble. It was not, I, I didn't have any desire to leave. I pastored a smaller church, but I, I would tell everyone, you know, in sports jargon, pound for pound, I pastored the best church anywhere. You know, <laughs> um, mm, there was no mm-hmm. reason for me to, to go anywhere. And um, yeah, I... Um, I, I felt 
convicted that I was was to go. And uh, I asked the Lord in prayer that night, what did I do wrong? I, I thought it was punishment that he was sending me Send away. I just, I just couldn't understand it. Um, but in God's sweet providence, he, he blessed me to go to a, a wonderful congregation. That, that's amazing. I mean, is that... Is that a normal process? I mean, I'm just thinking good Presbyterians, we get a committee appointed to appoint another committee to appoint a <laughs> third committee maybe and investigate sure. it. We're going to take a lot of time and we're going to do all this due diligence and men get into the process and they need to fill out paperwork and do it. It's just all, it's slow. It's all, it, it, it's a big, big ordeal. I mean, it was just uh, strange to us that, you would just find out, hey, you you weren't in the process, but we're calling you. Does this does this happen in your circles? No, um, I think it's in in my circles. It is a usually much slower process. Yeah, right. The the, the chairman was saying to the church. He called me and told me, I've been saying to the church, pray that when the Lord, um sends the pastor, the next pastor, it would just be obvious to the whole congregation. And they preached me on Memorial Day weekend. The church oh, was yeah. half empty. I tell them, I think they were right. hedging their bets, you know, <laughs> expecting yeah. no one to be there. And he called me the next week and I was not who the chairman wanted. They had, they had huh. vetted and found and he called me and told me, he says, this, this the next Sunday, he says, um, I've been telling the church to pray that it would be obvious when the Lord sends the next pastor. And he said to me, members keep coming up to me saying, we're not praying anymore. Go get the boy from Los Angeles. Um, wow. And I don't think it, all, it happens that way. And that process moved along pretty quickly after that. Yeah. And how many years you've been now at Shiloh? I am in my 15th year there now. Wow. Wow. Uh, uh, so I want to talk about preaching. So sure. segue here and, uh, you know, feel free to drop into any of those stories and anecdotes. I love it. We're going to talk about preaching. I want to mention mm-hmm. just uh, Scriptura, uh, one of the other sponsors here. I, I actually do have several scriptura Bibles. They craft heirloom quality Bibles. They also restore old Bibles. I just mentioned to someone in my church who said, I love my Bible. I got all my notes in here. I've had this forever, but it's falling apart. Scriptura restores those. So you can go look at Scriptura's website and LBE listeners and get 15% off with their code LBE15. So thank you, Scriptura. HB, uh, I've had the privilege of being at conferences with you a number of times and uh, love your preaching. I really do. I mean that. And uh, you're kind enough. You're going to come here for the Quorum Deo Pastors Conference. We're, we're going to host at Christ Covenant Church here uh, next March 2024. Uh, any pastors out there, church leaders, if you haven't looked at that, go find Quorum Deo Pastors Conference here in Matthews, North Carolina. HB's preaching, John Piper, uh, Carl Truman's giving a lecture. Uh, it, uh, you know, there's ten or eleven different folks speaking. So thank you for coming to that. Uh, let's get to some some nuts and bolts. HB, how do you give us the inside? How do you prepare your sermons? 
what are you bringing up to to the pulpit? No notes, a few notes, manuscript. What what does it look like from the study to the point where you're standing behind the pulpit getting ready to preach? What do you do? So, to I'm I'll give you briefly, and then you just kind of dig in and yeah, what where where you want me to elaborate? I'm I'm going to start with prayer, reading the scripture regularly. I print out a I type out the text and uh, put it on cardstock, and it's going with me everywhere, and I'm marking it. Uh, that's a constant part of the entire week. Um, I start with just the observations, um, and usually some, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have the starting outline and ideas uh, of the structure of the text where I'm going from there. I'm going to do... The, I'm going to read some comparative translations. I'm going to get mm-hmm. into word studies. I'm going to spend some time in, in some study Bibles, uh, which uh, I find helpful personally, just uh, mm-hmm. the succinct explanations. Right. Um, and I'm going to s- kind of move into commentary work from there. I am, this process is slower for me because I am typing recording and writing notes on everything oh, so okay. it's not just a finished manuscript i'm keeping files on the study material um that i am that i'm and you go back from. and use that later i mean I if you preach years that. later so that's useful to you down the road absolutely um i'm also like uh th- reading commentary work um, I find quotes and mm-hmm. illustration uh, in co- some commentary, and I'm making records of that. Um, so as I'm thinking about text and themes, I'm going back to those files. That process ends with uh, me developing a sermon skeleton. So when I write the sermon skeleton, what I'm calling is the homiletical outline, the theme mm-hmm. of the message, uh, transitional ideas. When I get that done, I feel like I am ready to preach. But I'm going on to write a full sermon manuscript, and it depends. At this point, there are it, it, any given Sunday you come to Shiloh. Now, I may have printed out the full manuscript. I may have nothing but my Bible, or hmm. I have a little journal where I just kind of write a few notes to myself. Uh, Most often now I'm preaching with that little journal of a few notes to myself. But you've already written a manuscript and then come with the few notes? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I always wish I had the discipline to to do that because once you get the manuscript, that's gold. To to have that, to save that, to to get your thoughts clear, and then go the, the extra step which is sometimes, well, I don't need to read it. I got to hear a note. So you, uh, I remember you saying before we were on a preaching panel that you often do that. That, that. that seems pretty unique. Most guys just lock into um, no notes, few notes, manuscript, but mm-hmm. yours varies a bit. Yeah, I, and I'm not sure. I, I could tell you the primary reason why that is. I am yeah, why is at that? this stage writing a manuscript that I'm, I want to be about 2,500 words. And okay. I'm trying to be more conscious 
about my time. Because on Sunday mornings, I can just, in my head, I preach 35 minutes every week. No one in my church will tell you I preach. <laughs> I ever preach 35 <laughs> minutes. So I'm, no. I'm writing for the sake of time and for the sake of clarity. I do not feel like I am good on my feet. I don't feel like I have any natural eloquence. I feel like I am prone to run on sentences in my normal conversation. I'm prone to pause and think about what I want to say next. So I just want to flesh all that out in that, in that manuscript. And um, once I kind of pare it down, it's just kind of getting it in, in my system. Uh, so at this point I, I have no, I'm trying to be conscious, more conscious of time. It just never works. I, I've pared it down and, <laughs> and I still go 50 minutes. 50 minutes. I know. I, I, I feel like I'll tell the other pastors on our staff, you know, be short, make sure you do that. And then physician heal thyself. I don't, I don't often do it. And I'm like you, I'm, so I'm preaching through Leviticus right now. And I preached through Leviticus one time before in 2009 at my old church, so I'm looking at those those notes from before and, you know, I'm using the exegetical stuff. I'm not preaching the same sermon at all, but I look at some of those. And today I usually use three, four pages of uh, outline. And back then I had seven pages. These were some long, long sermons. I feel like you, man, this congregation, they were they were gracious to listen to some sermons. What was it? Don't give them the whole elephant. I mean, I was giving them three elephants sometimes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I, I hopefully have learned something. Who, who are some of your preaching influences, past or present? Who are some of the, the guys either in writing or in person that you feel like shaped you and you maybe still listen to? So um, my dad was a big influence on yeah. me. Uh, my dad uh, turned sick and was sick for two weeks and the Lord took him. And wow. up until those last two weeks, my father was writing sermons at the end of a 40 year ministry. Uh, and he's very disciplined in his prayer life and in his preparation. Um, he was more of the orator type. My dad, like, um, was really, uh, his hero was Charles Spurgeon. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I never heard my dad preach a series every Sunday morning is of one or two verses. And he's going to kind of turn the text to get the gospel implications, uh, out of, he was an evangelist at heart and he just, mm -hmm. all of that had an he was a storytelling preacher. I don't think I do that well, but that was an influence on me. Um, I started reading as a teenager about expository preaching. So I'm reading Jerry Vines um, and others, but I wasn't seeing that it formally done in my setting. Uh, Bible preaching, faithful preaching, not expositional preaching. I heard E.K. Mm -hmm. Bailey from Dallas, Texas, and mm -hmm. it was the week I turned 18 years old and someone invited me to a service where he was preaching locally. And I just I didn't know what to call what I had just heard. All I could say is he spent the sermon explaining the text. Right. And I just said, whatever that is, I want to spend my life doing that. Um, then early on, um, I was introduced to John MacArthur's preaching and for 
extended period of time on Sunday nights, I would go sit in the back of Grace Community Church and listen to mm-hmm. John MacArthur. Um, yeah, uh, that had a real. I, I remember one of the first times I went, he stood up and said, well, we're going to our series in Romans chapter eight. I'm sitting in the back and he says, um, and as you know, Romans eight is about the eternal security of the believer. He could have hit me in the jaw. At that point, I had at least half of that chapter personally memorized. I had never heard anyone say that sentence. Romans 8 is about eternal security. And he began to explain the text, and I just was, I just kept coming back. Um, One of my first major dates with my wife, Crystal, was to go hear John MacArthur preach on a Sunday night. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. Any men out there, a good first date is to go, go hear some good preaching. I agree yes, with that. Um, so those were three uh, major early influences on my preaching, and I just listened to a lot of preaching. I've read a lot of preaching. My father's hero became mm-hmm. my hero, Charles Spurgeon. Um, uh, Ralph Douglas West in Houston. Maurice Watson, who's now in Little Rock, Arkansas. John Piper uh, Mm -hmm. was a big influence on me. Um, And um, friend Ray Pritchard uh, was a big influence on me. So let me ask you maybe a hard question, because mostly you you hear yourself preach, right? That's what we have to Mm -hmm. deal with. And uh, you go to conferences, and when you go to conferences, you're probably often hearing good good people also preach. So we don't always have a good sense of what's out there. But I'm I'm curious, what do you think? If you do think there are differences, what are differences between Baptist preaching and Presbyterian preaching? And maybe more obvious, what you're willing to give us? What do you think are some differences between you know historically black preaching and preaching in most white churches? You want to venture an answer to those questions? Whoa. Uh-huh. I, I um, asked it, so you give it, you cut it straight, just like you would. Sure. I think um, the Presbyterian preaching that I hear, and I have um, become friends with some good Presbyterian brothers. Right. And there is a much more obvious doctrinal emphasis in the preaching. And mm-hmm. I'm just incredibly encouraged by that. Um, I would say, you know, I, I'm also uh, a, a, a part of the Southern Baptist life. And I, I don't mean this. I, I trust you'll get what I mean. I just feel like it's a too, some, a lot of preaching out here. It's too much of a rush to get to application. Ah, okay. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm not really sure what you are applying here. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the goal to be as practical as possible. Um, and the, you know, Romans 12 and following is important, but it, it's great significance is that it follows the instruction in Romans 1 through 11. Uh-huh. Um, so I would say that's a that's a big distinction. Um, 
I would say in terms of um, white and, and, and black preaching, I would just say um, sometimes um, in among the best of white preaching, I feel sometimes I'm hearing a lecture and not a sermon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, right. maybe get, that's sometimes... Get to the heart. Yeah. Um, in, in black preaching... Um, I do think that it can be hurtful that there is this expectation of congregational response. Mm -hmm. And if you are not careful, it can shape the preaching. Um, you know, um, when I was starting pastoring in my dad's first church, there was a deaconess sister Tibbs that uh, would sit on the, second row and she would just rock the whole sermon and if i was uh if uh if i was preaching good she'd say help us lord help us lord yeah and if i was struggling she'd say help him lord help him lord <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so you're you know, listening whole, is, is she, who needs the help yeah the whole, yeah the whole church knew who needed the help yeah. and you know if you're not careful you are just preaching to avoid the Help him, Lord. <laughs> right. Um, and um, my dad pressed upon me. When, when I was a boy preacher, I would go to my dad and say, this actually happened. I said, uh, Dad, you know, I don't remember the text. What's that passage? Uh, where's that passage? If my people were called by my name, mm -hmm. where's that passage? And he said, well, I don't know, but um, on my desk is a concordance. And uh, if you go get it, I'll show you how to use it. And you can find that in any verse you're ever looking for. And I'm like, yeah, now nah, can you just tell me the verse? <laughs> um, my dad pushed me to books when I would ask for explanation with a text. My dad, do you are you familiar with the biblical illustrator commentary? Uh -huh. uh, he, he would he would grab that and it'd just be pages and pages and pages. But he would tell me he wanted my preaching. He didn't want me to be a stereotype. He wanted me to be a preacher that could stand up anywhere. Um, huh. And that's I advice. think that's the best of preaching. Yeah. Uh, uh, besides your own book, uh, what what preaching books do you recommend for for guys in the ministry? What are some of the, the homiletics preaching books that you keep coming back to? Yeah, so um, I, I would say my favorite preaching book is uh chapels christ-centered preaching mm. mm -hmm. um i have read the uh haddon robinson yep and the subject object he was he thing. was my he was my he was my professor at gordon conwell yeah um i've had to read that mo i've read that multiple times but at this and i know uh in a lot of circles i mean that's as almost feels like that's the book you're supposed to say but chapel has been a big for me, um, the early books I read by um, Al Faisal, I was a teenager when I read him. He was a homiletics prof at uh, Southwestern and Jerry Vines. Those were introductory books that were introducing me to expositional preaching. And I still kind of cherish those books. Um, mm -hmm. I um, commend these days um, Piper's book on preaching. Um and I, I just uh, read the, a new book by Lawson 
that's the book that I'm recommending to like new young preachers. It's just very, very practical. And uh, yeah, I, I appreciate books that are not on that are not theories of homiletics, but just kind of helps the preacher get at it. Yeah, that's right. There, there's there there are lots of different kinds. You got the theologies, the sort of metaphysics of preaching. That that's a certain thing. Mm-hmm. You need some that just you said Lawson's book. You know, David Helm's book, little book on expositional preaching is like that. Just how do I how do I do this? I'm new at it. Help me go at it. And and then there are some. That are, you know, Lloyd-Jones, Stott, that are a little more yeah. big picture, sort of sure. inspirational. And they all they all have their place in helping us and at different times in ministry what we need. I, I want to go back to something you said, H.B., about your dad. You said was maybe more of a, an oratorical preacher and a storyteller. And it strikes me there are there are lots of ways to skin that preaching cat. There's a lot of ways to preach good sermons and, uh, you know, I sometimes say, you know, if I, if I was going off into battle and I need to be ready, you know, to die, I, I, I want Piper lining up. All right, come, go, go send me out. I mean, Piper, uh, for me, is, is inspirational like that, kind of get my head screwed on straight. You know, Tim Keller helps you see things and has that sort of advantage. You talked about E.K. Bailey just explaining the text and but reaching a you know a flourish of rhetorical power in doing it. I, mm-hmm. I think of my preaching, I'm not I'm not as gifted as those brothers. I think I'm probably the teacher preacher. I think people probably would say, I learned things, you helped me connect things in the passage. Uh, and, and I want to grow in other areas, but we're not all gonna do everything. What what kind of I know you don't want to talk about yourself, but what kind of preacher is H.B. Charles? What what do you think is your particular kind of gifting? And what, what do people say when they're giving you preaching compliments that the Lord really uses you to do? What, what's your style and type? Sure. So I feel that um, I, I think that's a maybe a little difficult to answer objectively, but to the best I can, I would say two things. Um, I, I, I want my preaching to be text-driven. And I want to stay mm-hmm. very, very close to the text. And I think if most of the time you you hear me, um, I'm analyzing and explaining the, 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 the text. Um, my dad... By the time I came along, I think one of the weaknesses of my dad's church is that my generation, when we were kids, by that time, a lot was assumed mm-hmm. and not and not taught, if you understand what I mean. Um, and when I became the pastor and a lot of young adults start coming back, it's a young adult pastor. And, and I remember there's a sister who's still in the church now. We, she was a young adult that came to the church when I started. And she said to me one day, HB, you know, you, you preach and say, you remember in this story and you remember in, in that story. She's like, I don't know any of those stories. Yeah. And I don't want to take anything for granted. Um, I want to, I want to be faithful. I want to, I want people to learn. So I do feel like I want to be teaching the text and I'm striving for clarity. That's another reason I'm working through the manuscript so hard. I want to be as clear as possible. So I describe my, my effort in preaching in terms of my desire to be faithful, 
clear and passionate. This is what I think effective mm. preaching, you know, should be faithfulness to the text, clarity in the message and passion in the present in, in the presentation. No, that's really good. I, I, I was talking to a, a pastor friend of mine a while back and we we're just noting there are some, there are some texts that they're, they're familiar. They're obvious to most people in the congregation. It's right there. What this is about God is love or John three sixteen or something people have heard of, they know. And so mm-hmm. your, your challenge as a pastor is to, to drive it home, to illustrate it, to do that. And then there's other passages that are obscure. They're hard to understand. They require explanation. And I, I just said, so my friend said, he, he, he loves the texts that are, they're there, they're, they're, they're obvious, and it gives you a chance to kind of ruminate and deepen them and explain and, and illustrate. And I said, I find those sermons harder. For me, the sermons are easier where it's something like I'm going through Leviticus and it's, okay, this is weird for people, but I'm going to help explain it and, and then apply it. And the, you know, John 3.16 sermon feels like, oh man, what am, what am I going to say? And I guess that probably shows I'm not great at illustrations and some of that. What, which of those is easier and which of those is harder for you, HB? I really enjoy going deep with a familiar text. Yeah, but, yeah. So here's, here's also a part of my tradition. I grew up hearing multiple sermons, for instance, on Mark 4, 35 through 41, Jesus stealing the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sermons I would have heard coming up is, you know, and as they were sailing across, the storm arose on the sea. And then I'm, I'm talking to somebody here, you in a storm. It may ah, be a right, marital right, storm. Right. It yeah, may yeah. be a marital storm. Uh-huh. <laughs> and things yeah. are going wrong in your marriage. And it may be a financial storm. Your money is funny and your change is So it goes into that. And then the point is that Jesus can calm your storm. And the right. church will go up on that. And the proof that he can do that is that one Friday he went to Calvary and died. And I mean, that's, <laughs> but when I go back to, so I think, you know, there, I preach in a cultural setting where a lot of preaching was like that. And then when you go to a text where everybody knows the text and present this as a declaration of the deity of Jesus Christ as Lord of nature, um, you know, the point of the story is not the stilling of the storm. You don't get the point until the disciples are saying, who then is this? That's you know? right. Yeah. Um, so even the wind and the waves obey him and you go back to the Psalms and the, what, what God did. That's right. Yeah. 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 So um, I, I do feel like um, the, there's a lot of narrative preaching in the black church experience where we quote unquote, tell the story. Mm-hmm. It is not always expositional. It is not always doctrinal. Um, and I'm trying in my preaching to fill in those blanks. So when I preach in, in predominantly white settings, which I do often, I feel like, am I being helpful? Because they it may seem so surface that what I'm doing, nothing profound or deep, but... Um, I, came well, I can in tell setting. you, it's always yeah. helpful every time I've heard you preach. Oh, very encouraging. Thank you, brother. Yeah, so um, I don't feel like I'm as strong as I should be on application. Um, I don't feel like I... My dad was the storytelling preacher. I retold one of his stories 
And I yesterday, I think the church loved it because they remembered that story. They remembered how my dad mm-hmm. closed his sermons mm-hmm. with stories that not that I was I'm good at, at illustration. Um, I prefer a, a good short quote, which can accomplish for me almost the same thing as a longer illustration that I need to set up. Um, yeah, yeah. But I work harder at that. That's that. a. Well, I have to work harder at that. And you know, application is where uh, sometimes the most helpful stuff and the most heretical stuff comes in is with the application legalism comes in with application heresy come but it also connects the dots and i think what you said is a very fair uh, observation about presbyterian reform preaching strong on uh, doctrinal often exegetical theological really plumb the the depths trying to but you know i could see a good presbyterian sermon on say mark four and say today three reasons we we see in this text for the deity of Christ, and that's great and that's good, and that's where uh-huh. we could use a little bit of, hey, when you get to the end, though, help this person in the pew, because yeah. white Presbyterians still have they got marriage problems and they got financial storms and that that's yeah. not as you said you know the main exegetical takeaway, but that's a fair application is Jesus if you'll have if you'll wake him up. You know, and he's he's already awake, but he'll be in the boat with you. And are you calling out to him? Are you crying out for him to help you right now? Or do you think, you know, and and I do think there's a a weakness of that kind of heart-to-heart, direct preaching in some of my circles and even, you know, uh, in my own preaching. It's what, you know, Lloyd-Jones and others said, the difference between preaching about the gospel and preaching the gospel the sort mm-hmm. of just off he, off here, I'm going to explain, if you just look at this whiteboard, this chalkboard, I'm going to explain to you how this whole thing works. Oh, that's yeah. great. Versus turning to look at the people and, and speaking right to them. And here's why this Jesus, who's Lord over nature, is Lord over your life and the mess that you're going through right now. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, HB, and I told you I'd, I'd honor your time because you're, you're flying back. Let me give you a two-part final question. Okay. So uh, there's lots of people listening probably who aren't preachers, but let's just speak to preachers or students who are training to be preachers. Give a word of encouragement to the preacher out there who's who's tired, who feels like he's not seeing any fruit, and it's just a hard grind. So give it an encouraging word and give an exhortation, and do whichever order you want, but an exhortation to, to the preacher who's maybe missing something, maybe needs to get his head screwed on straight, maybe, maybe needs to grow in some area. Give us a closing word to the preacher, because you love preachers, and mm-hmm. you, you're a preacher's preacher. By that I mean mm-hmm. a preacher that preachers love to listen to because uh, they respect you, and you, you give so much attention to the craft of it, but, but even more than that, because you love the text and you love the Lord of the text. So speak to some preachers here and give an exhortation and an encouragement. Sure. So in terms of the encouragement, I would just say preach, preach the word and be aware that God is up to great things that you may not see or be aware of. Um, looking back, you know, visiting home, my home church. Going back there. You know, it's uh it's not the real world because, you know, they love me 
because I I come to town once a week and they once a year and they hear yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. You know when you, when you were the pastor, <laughs> you know. Yeah, they didn't love you every week. No. <laughs> yeah, they didn't love me every week, but <laughs> the that they remember messages and can mark the places in their life where they want you to know during this season you ministered to me. That word helped me. Um, it is a reminder of things I, I, I would not know that I would not be able to see, but God was at work. God was at work and it may look like that um, there is no fruit, but you don't know what God is doing underneath the soil. Um, so I would just say, you know, keep preaching the word in season and out of season. And trust the word to do its work. Um, I just believe in the power of God's word, not necessarily the the power of our eloquence or wisdom or power in preaching, but God's word will not fail. Um, Good word. Second Timothy 2.15. There are three questions that I regularly ask. Out of that verse, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Is God well pleased with me? Uh, Is my first question. Um, Is my work well done? A worker who has no need to be ashamed. And is the word rightly handled? So, um, or I think even in more succinct terms, I think of it in terms of 1 Timothy 4 and 16 to guard your life and guard your doctrine. And in a real Mm -hmm. sense, he says, kind of push, repeat on that, persevere in that (laughs) to ensure your salvation and the salvation of those who who hear you. So I I really think um, the next generation is very, very skeptical of 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 the truth of the church, of the Bible. Um, I just think it's important for our, us as pastors to guard our lives and to guard our message. Um, mm. And I think that's the whole ball game. Is First Timothy four sixteen? Would say. Good word. Good word. HB, I'd love to just keep talking to you about preaching. So hopefully we'll be in the same place at the same time before too long. I appreciate Thank your you. preaching, your books, your ministry, your leadership, and uh, the chance we've had to to grow as friends and colleagues. So thank you. Safe trip back across the country. Thanks for being on Life and Books and Everything. And for all of our listeners, hopefully you'll join us next time. And until then, glorify God, enjoy Him forever, and read a good book.